Welcome to the Liberty Room with your hosts, Jim and Dwight. This is the room where everybody gets together. Conservatives talks about real conservative ideals and problems that we have in our country. Not for the people you see on TV, not for the people who have those podcasts who do nothing but complain, but for working people. The down-to-earth people. The down-to-earth people. People like us. That's right, because I'm Jim. And I'm Dwight. And we're going to be with you here for the next uh, sort of an hour, and we're going to discuss things that affect people on a regular basis. We're going to educate, we're going to discuss, we're going to learn, we're going to do all the above, and we're going to start our first podcast off with a topic that is very important to everyone, which may be the foundation of true conservatism right now um, as we see the breakdown in our country and that is going to be the discussion of the breakdown of the family unit. You know, I, I was doing a little research before this podcast, and the one thing that came to mind when I was looking at various articles and, and going to like the Pew Research Center and going to you know heritage.org, uh, great places to get information, by the way, is that we've seen a trend in this country for a long time where we're, the family unit is literally being broken apart. That nuclear family that we used to know and love it almost doesn't exist anymore. It doesn't. And when you watch mainstream media, when you watch uh, sitcoms, uh, dramas, when you just watch that idiot box everybody has on two, three, or four walls in their house, you'll see they actually, in this day and time, how they glamorize the breakdown of the family unit. Yeah. You, you end up seeing like one parent. That's yeah. it. And, and the other parent, it could be a divorce or it could be a death, but that other parent is not in the picture ever. You know, with 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 the down uh, the downfall of Bill Cosby, I hate to use this analogy, but there will never ever be a show or an example like the Huxtables. That's right. You know, the the great family unit who's there to support each other, to help each other. And if you ever notice through history, you go back and you look at TV shows like the Cosby Show in its heyday, not right. necessarily Bill now. But when you look at that and you look at even all the way back to those corny, cheesy 50s shows like Leave It to Beaver and stuff, when the family unit was together, it was it was not only every episode you learned something new, right? you know, but you also saw how they how they succeeded in things they do. The lessons they learned, they, they supported each other, they fed off of each other, and everybody succeeded. Now, everything's not a happy story, not a happy ending. You know, look at the Andy Griffith show. The mom passed away at a young age and left just the single dad and the and the and the son. But Aunt B filled that void of support in that family right. that's always needed. Right. And you know, looking at the uh, at the Cosby Show because obviously I'm a little bit younger than you are, Jim. <laughs> and, and just by a little bit. The pain. Yeah. It's coming. <laughs> you know, Jim said we're gonna uh, we're gonna uh, you know enlighten people and educate. We're also gonna entertain. So uh, let this be the start of the entertainment as well. <laughs> But I grew up watching the Cosby show, some of the later episodes. And, you know, say what you will about Bill Cosby, the show itself I thought was pretty wholesome. Yeah. And, you know, you had Dr. Huxtable and Claire and they were, and Claire was his wife, right? Yeah. Yeah. And they were were raising their kids and there would be issues with with certain kids and they would be there to support them. And that's what we don't see today on any of the TV shows. Right, right. You know, in this day and time, it's... It's kind of doom and gloom. Poor pitiful me. I'm a single parent. Look how hard I have to work. And we all know how that is. That's right. You know, but we don't have any examples anymore of things that give us hope. Yeah. You know, there's there's none of that out there. It doesn't seem like if there is, please, you know, tell me what it is because it's absolutely, uh, you know, comedies aren't comedies anymore. They're depressing. They are. Well, you know, it, uh, it, it, Modern Family. Yeah. You watch that one? Yeah. Uh, my wife watches it more than I do. You know, kind of funny. Family unit dysfunctional, right? Yeah. Um, but the one that I do kind of enjoy lately has been, um, the one that Fox produced and then they, uh, canned it with, uh, Tim Allen. Oh yeah. Um, um, not uh, home improvement was the old one. Yeah. yeah. No, I know. I, I, as a matter of fact, I've got it recorded in there. I went back, uh, cause I missed a bunch and went on Hulu and I, mm-hmm. I went back and watched, watched all of them. Yeah. And you know, it's, it's, that's a perfect example of, how much our country has changed because he was, he's a, a conservative. 
He is a proud family man. He's raised good, wholesome daughters. He's conservative. I know. You know, but it, it leads to make you believe that his wife and his daughters are a little bit more on the liberal side, but it shows how they all get along. Yep. They don't get mad at each other. It's all good fun. They enjoy them. They enjoy their life. Um, he works hard. He succeeded. Um, right. But when it was on at one point, um, that kind of ruffled the the feathers of a lot of the uh, mainstream uh uh, uh, networks, then they canceled him. Yep. But just like, you know, another family show, <laughs> which may not necessarily be as wholesome family guy, the people spoke <laughs> up. Yeah. You know, the people said, no, that's what they want. So there is a, you can tell there is a, 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 a desire out there in America of people who, who, who want that hope, who recognize it and they Correct. want that hope. But instead they're being force fed by the media, force fed by the networks, you know, this, uh, how, you know, my two dads or, you know, a lot of the things that are very controversial. Um, if you speak out against it, right. You know, and it's only controversial because the heads of the network say it is. Well, the, the, the narrative is mm -hmm. really, you can do whatever you want in life. Right. Yeah. So if you want to buy a blue truck, you buy a blue truck. If you want to have sex before marriage, have sex before marriage. And I think because that's the narrative they're trying to push on us. Sure. You know, try to normalize it. They're trying to normalize. They're yeah. trying to make it yeah. as if this is everyday America. Every yeah. American is like this. And the fact of the matter is, I believe that most aren't. No, no, we see that all the time. I mean, you know, it was just like uh, how many videos, how many clips have we seen of all these people? You know, saying, "I believe Donald Trump could be our next president," and the liberals just bust out laughing. That's right, because it didn't fit their agenda, didn't fit their narrative. Yeah, and then all of a sudden, the people spoke up. Change, you know, change things. Now, the new election, we can talk about that all we want. But, you know, if you go back through history and look, this is not something that's just happened in the last 20 years. No, it's been going on for quite a while. It has. And, you know, one of the things I, I discussed with you that I wanted to bring up tonight uh, was Margaret Sanger. Mm, who? Margaret Sanger. Man, that name sounds so... You know, please, tell, Jim, tell us about Margaret Sanger. Margaret Sanger. Um, if anybody doesn't know who that is, then they... Uh, apparently went to public school in history class. Okay, well, hang on, hang on, hang on. I know who she is then because I didn't go to public school. So. <laughs> oh, you're the, she, the she's the abortion queen. Yeah, she's yeah. the abortion queen. And you, as well as I know, and a lot of people listening know that um, her whole goal was to um, reduce the population of certain minorities. Let's just say what it was: exterminate black people. It's exactly what it was. Yep. It's exactly what it was. And she's celebrated now. Yep. You know, you drive past, um, you know, we've got a, a fairly decent sized city adjacent to us where we're at now. Um, I've gone by there. Uh, one of the main thoroughfares to get to some of the shopping areas go right by a Planned Parenthood office. Mm -hmm. And you see people out there praying constantly. And those people are belittled. They're people come out there and try to run them off. Um, they are tr the, the liberals get out there and they try their best to uh, just totally harass them and make them feel like their um, their efforts are ridiculous. But when you go back and look at the history and look at what Margaret Sanger's words were, she uses words we're not going to use. Right. You know, um, and it's not that I'm, uh, you know, um, avoiding anything in the English language. It's just I have better taste than that. You know, and 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 the fact that there's people out there who don't know their history, know the history of people like Margaret Sanger, who don't know what she was uh, originally trying to do um, in conjunction with the Democrat Party. Right. Um, you know, and that's history. Look it up. You can call it propaganda all you want, but it, it, it is fact. You can look it up. Um, that uh, what she was doing in conjunction with the Democrat Party um, in trying to just completely exterminate the, the black population um, to this day, look at some of the neighborhoods that Planned Parenthood clinics are in. Sure. Well, I read an article, I think it was on, uh, it might have been on heritage.org or maybe it was a Pew Research that su suggested that 80% of Planned Parenthood abortion clinics, the, the actual surgical units, are in neighborhoods where you have underprivileged minorities. Sure. And, and look at the abortion rate in, uh, between the different races. Yeah. It's disproportionate. Completely. Completely. And, you know, they twist the numbers on the violent crime rate or on the, on the I'm sorry, not the violent crime rate, the, they, they, they mess with the numbers on um, one thing that's popular right now is um, the, uh, I'll use your word, disproportionate. It's such <laughs> a big word for an old hillbilly like me. Um, disproportionate amount of 
white cops killing black men. Right. Those the numbers that a lot of these mainstream media put, people put out um, are nowhere near the actual numbers and and ratio to size and population. Right. But when you talk about the abortion rate and how it has been aimed at, geared towards, and marketed to the black population in our country, there's no way to discern that. I mean, to, to get that confused. There's no way whatsoever. That has been, from the very beginning, in its, in, in its beginnings, aimed at keeping uh, the black population as, as low as possible, if not exterminated. Well, check out this quote. And, and this comes from an article on Heritage.org um, written by uh, K.C. James. And what she wrote in here, this is the quote from Margaret Sanger, uh, if I can find it again. She says, we don't want the word to go out that we want to exterminate the Negro population. From the very beginning, that was their goal. Oh, absolutely. I mean, it's just like when um, uh, LBJ's goal with, with the Great Society, <laughs> yeah. let's, let's re-enslave, I'm, I'm using air quotes here, let's re-enslave black people by, by giving them money. Let's keep them subservient to the state by giving them money. It's no different than this. Yeah. Okay. She's trying to exterminate the black population to yep. control us. Absolutely. Okay. Just as LBJ was trying to control us with money. It's yeah. absolutely no different. Yeah. And, and both have succeeded to that's, a certain point. That's yeah. right. Absolutely. And for anybody out there listening who do not know me and Dwight, um, has never seen me and Dwight, um, I happen to be a pasty Caucasian hillbilly <laughs> covered in tattoos. <laughs> Dwight is just the opposite. Yes. Our pigment is different. Our love is the same. And, and I love Jim. He's my buddy. He's my brother. Absolutely. You know, 100%. As, as white as Jim is, <laughs> I love him to death. I am a walking, blazing saddles quote. <laughs> <laughs> but I still love you, man. Yeah, well, you know, uh, the love is reciprocated. Because to, to, to me, the color doesn't matter. Absolutely not. You know, and for Absolutely. those who don't know me, I'm in a mixed marriage. Yep. You know, so I'm black and my wife, Lydia... Is white. I'm in a mixed marriage. You are. I am. Oh, do tell. I drink Pepsi and my wife drinks Coke. Wow. How about that? That's like a Democrat and a Republican living in the same house. Oh no, that's much worse. Was it much worse? Much worse. <laughs> <laughs> okay, but seriously, <laughs> yeah. my wife, who's from Poland, is she's white, German, Russian, Polish ancestry. I'm black. I've got black Native American um, down from, uh, I've got ancestry down in the, in the islands of Barbados and Jamaica and all that kind of stuff. But to me, growing up, my parents always taught me, it doesn't matter the color of the skin. You know, all my friends growing up, most of them were white. We got along just fine. We didn't see each other's colors or color. Um, when I got into college, I, know I, I had more black friends as I got older. Again, color doesn't mean anything to me. Yeah. As when, well, it shouldn't. I mean, I, and like I say, when I say Dwight's just the opposite, I mean that, you know, it, it, where I come from, there really weren't a lot of black people. Um, but I still never understood why people acted different, treated people different. Now, granted, I grew up a few years young, older than you. Just a few. You know, and I can remember a lot of the crazy stuff that went on um, in the very late 60s and, and even early 70s. Um, the the Klan marches in Greensboro and, and all that stuff. And it just absolutely boggles my mind that people could act like that it made no sense. Um, you know, it was, uh, it was funny when I first went in the army in 1984 was really when, um, I met, you know, any black people, mm -hmm. but it's fun. But it, but, and it, it's kind of funny that I say that because where I grew up, there were a small population of black folks and I had two friends, Paul and Tracy, um, who were two black folks from, you know, down in the hills where I come from, and to this day, they were just Paul and Tracy. I right. didn't really meet black people till I went to the army. They're not Paul and Tracy. Mm -hmm. And to this day, I, I love those people to death. I don't get to see them anymore, but they, I, I see Paul. Well, we're friends on Facebook and, and, you know, he ever need anything. All he has to do is call, right. you know, but we live in two different worlds as far as down in where I grew up. Cause they really, you know, they pipe sunshine in down there. It's back in the, <laughs> it's back in the hills, boy. You know, but I mean, it's Do we hear banjos playing. If we're oh, down there? within yeah, within forty miles of the, uh, the county line, absolutely. I'm not going down there. Yeah, the small town where we're in, the population of the entire county is smaller than the population of the town we live in now. Wow. Yeah, so it's it's small town. It's it's rural, but you know, 
I just never saw the difference. Mm-hmm. They didn't make any sense to me. So when we talk about this, keep in mind, um, this is not, um, this is not a racial discussion. It right. is, we're, we're trying to draw lines to where we're at now, as far as where the family unit is. That's right. You know, because that escalated from what she started all the way through up until the sixties when the big feminist movement started. Yep. You know, um, the, it, it was, it was that leave it to beaver thing we're talking about on, on, on TV land now, right? you know, um, or Andy Griffith or Dick Van Dyke or any of those old shows on, it was, um, you know, it was that full family unit. The mother stayed home and, and took care of the home. And for some reason that became, started becoming demeaned, you know, that you couldn't just be a stay at home mom. Well, you ask any stay at home mom, that's a more full-time job than anything else. Oh, it is. Holy cow. The respect that we have that I know I have uh, for women who stay home and take care of their kids and stuff, that's not a sexist uh, or, or anti-feminist remark. Holy cow. I mean, there's been a few times where I've had to be the uh, stay-at-home dad when my kid, when my son was small, and I couldn't wait to get back to work because I didn't have to work as hard. That's right. Well, imagine if you were, <laughs> imagine if you also had to educate your kids. Oh, yeah. You know, I look at my own mom who homeschooled my sister and I, I was homeschooled from third grade on. My sister was homeschooled from uh, first grade on. Yeah. And we were a single income household. Mm-hmm. My dad went to work every single day, came home. Mom was at home all the time. She educated us. She cleaned the house. She cooked the food, took us to all of our activities. I think she was probably more busy than my dad was. Oh, I, I, I'm same, same boat. Um, and I, I give her, I look back as a parent now and I give her credit for what she went through. That was, that was a lot of work. Oh yeah. But I, back to your point about on the feminist movement, would you say that the rise of the feminist movement is the reason why we have dual incomes today for families? 100%. I mean, I look back, I, I, to me, I see, and I'm not trying to sound like women need to be in the kitchen barefoot and pregnant no, all the time. No. Um, but I think when women got into the workforce, that's when the family unit changed. People started prioritizing their careers. And even, even, even men, we prioritized our careers even more. Sure. Um, and, and because of that, we, we wanted to be dual income. We wanted more money. We wanted the bigger house. We wanted the newer Mercedes, whatever. Um, and be, I think because of that, we sacrificed what our families mean to us. Yeah. You know, it, my own parents and I'm 38 and l- looking back at how they raised me and my sister, and my dad could have become a vice president of his company. He could have been a director of his company. And I always wondered as a kid, why didn't my dad take that promotion? Why, why didn't he make a ton of money, you know? And he told me later on, the reason being was because he wanted to be there for his kids. Yeah. And I look back now and go, huh, every activity that I had from baseball to my church activities to whatever it was, my dad was always there. Yeah. Now other kids' dads weren't there. We would do Pinewood Derby at church and you know, you have to get the block of wood and. Oh, we did that in scouts. Yeah, it was, yeah. It was great. And, and it was yeah. fun. And, and so there, you know, a handful of dads would show up and there'd be like, let's just say 60 kids out there and about 10 dads would show up. And, uh, and my dad was one of them and my dad be out there helping the, the, the kid design the car, mm-hmm. you know, and help him use the bandsaw to cut it out, help him paint it, help them, you know, shellac it, put the weights in, get it all, gra- you know, gra- uh, put graphite on it. Now, truth be told, my dad being the engineer, my car <laughs> was always awesome. Okay. But he still took time to help other kids because their dads weren't there. Sure. Gee, I wonder why. Yeah. Likely they're either prioritizing their careers or yeah. you've got the single family, fa- the, the single parent factor. Absolutely. The, the single parent thing is, and it all started with the feminism movement. You know, and when I say that, I don't mean that women, I'm, I'm like you, I don't think women shouldn't stay at home and right. you know, barefoot, kitchen, pregnant, all that stuff. No. Um, if the woman is, has a, has a great job, makes good money, then there's nothing wrong with the dad staying home and being a stay at home dad. Right. Having a parent there all the time makes a difference. Um, you know, I spent a lot of my life in the army, <clears throat> excuse me. And, um, I got out for a while, went back, you know, back and forth. I did some reserve time. Um, but at one point when my son was born, um, I worked nights, my wife worked days and we would pass each other in the doorway, you know, kind of high five. He's fed, he's playing, he's fine. You know, she'd come back in and she would make sure he got his bath, got to bed and spend some quality time with him in the meantime. Right. You know, but we did that for a long period of time because it was important to us that one parent was always with him. 
you know, and, and I can't say that it's a hundred percent works every time, but my son grew up to be an Eagle Scout. He grew up to be a vigil honoree in order of the arrow, which is like the who's who of scouting. That's mm-hmm. the top rank that you get. Um, he is a national honor society. He was captain of the football team, captain of the lacrosse team, um, you know, all conference. I mean, I have the all American son and I always tell people when, you know, we talk that, um, you know, pardon me for bragging on my kid, but, uh, <laughs> nothing I, wrong with that. <laughs> I tell everybody, you know, I had some, I had good material to work with and I still believe that to this day because he applied to colleges. He was accepted to every college he went. He's off a of freshman in college now at the college of his choice in the field of his choice, you know? So obviously I had good material to work with, right. but you know, the, the parent being there in those important critical times make a difference. I was at every football game. I was at every lacrosse game. I coached Little League. That's how I ended up running Little League football in this area. You know, football and cheerleading because I went to his games his first year and I sat there with my little folding chair like all the other parents. Somebody was stealing all the money. I started running my mouth going, you know, don't you dare steal from kids. Next thing you know, I'm running the whole program. (laughs) (laughs) I still got a scar from the hook in my lip where they drugged me in. You got to stop opening your mouth up. I didn't. Here we are. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> you know, but you know, I got to experience a lot of these kids who don't have that. And, I, I, and you know, just like uh, uh, here, the varsity football team at the high school, you know, uh, I got a phone call from one of the parents. And because, because of my interaction all those years as they grew up, you know, now with COVID in place, you could you you can only take so many people to the football game. Well, it was these guys' senior homecoming night. It's their senior year. I'd been with them all the time ever since they were eight years old, playing football all the way up into their high school career. And after all that, they remembered me and they wanted me to be at their homecoming game. Wow! You know, that That's was awesome. one of the most awesome things in the world. Sounds like it tickles yeah. me to death. But it shows how starved kids are for that input for that balance in their life of a, of a family. Right. Well, even if you're what you and your wife were the, the, the ship's passing in the night, taking care of your son, mm-hmm. your son still grew up with both parents. Absolutely. I mean, maybe you both couldn't have been at every single game there, you know, together, yeah. but one person was always there. Absolutely. And I look at me and my wife, you know, we're, we're dual income yep. and, uh, you know, whenever our kids have uh, karate events, yep. now one of us is always at practice with them. One of us is always at the, um, you know, karate graduation. Oftentimes both of us are, but we're always going to be there for them. Absolutely. And, and like you said, that's what's missing in the family unit today. There's a reason why kids are growing up with no direction. Yeah. They have no, no morals. Yeah. Because they're not being taught. They're not being they're, given they're that. They're being babysat by PlayStation. They are. Yeah. It, it's you come home, get off the bus, yeah. do your homework, and then go play the PS4 the rest of the evening. Yeah. Leave me alone. I'm the parent. I'm too tired. Yeah. And, and and rightfully so in terms of being too tired, the, the, the single parent is busy working all day long, maybe sure. having two jobs, sure. working double shifts. But, you know, I really firmly believe that, that God himself designed us to be a family, to have, to have a mother and a father mm-hmm. and they raise their kids. Yeah. We weren't designed to be raised by just one parent. Right. Now, you know, people die, you know, parents pass every now and then that, that does happen. Um, and you, and you learn to live with it. Oh, absolutely. Um, yeah. I've told you so many times about McKinley, my son's yes, best friend. Yeah. When McKinley was uh, very young, like first grade, he, his dad had a way to make her heart attack and drop dead right oh. in front of him. And McKinley's always been my, like my other son. Mm-hmm. It's, you know, it's, it's so funny that, uh, you know, McKinley, who is a, a great young man who happens to be black. Right. And I introduced him to, as my son to people and everybody gives you that funny look like, Y'all don't look alike. <laughs> well, you did that to me <laughs> last year when he yeah. was out in the parking lot with your son. We were there yeah. at the, at the, at the uh, middle school. Yeah. I knew him as your other son. Yeah. And when I saw that he was black, it's like, oh my gosh, Jim likes black people. <laughs> <laughs> Jim likes all people. Yes. But you know, it, it, it cemented in my mind yeah. that you know, again, race doesn't matter to you. No. This is, it doesn't matter to me. No. But you raised him and that's what he needed. Well, I had an influence in him. You know, his mama had a hard job. His mama was really, she's a great lady, but she has some physical limitations and McKinley had to grow up really fast, but he's a great kid. And, and he knows that he's always got a home as long as I got a roof. Right. You know, and then I like it when they're over here and they hang out and, you know, it's now that I'm kind of an empty nester, 
kind of sucks. I bet. You know? Well, that's why you have me now. <laughs> Do I, am I adopting you You're now? You're adopting <laughs> me now. That's right. <laughs> Do I have to put you in a bassinet beside the bed? No. Okay. No, I do not want to be in your bedroom. I'm sorry. You're, you're, you're how tall? Six foot five. Yeah, see, your feet would hang over the edge, and that would get awkward as I get up in the middle of the night to go to the bathroom. I'd be tripping you. Yeah. On purpose. Yeah. Oh, where's our tripping button? Oh, that's the wrong button. That's the wrong one. Yeah, uh. no, no, push the other one. Oh. Yeah. That's the tripping button. Does that put you I didn't you do in that your... on purpose. It just happened that way. <laughs> Does that put you in your happy place? I, I like it one more time. Jim is well relaxed now. More coffee. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> no, no, but it's true. You know, I miss the, I miss all the, the sounds and anybody who's an empty nester, they miss those sounds. They right. miss the kids, you know, wrestling. And, and I mean, you know, when, when Stacy was playing little league, his two best friends um, were uh, McKinley and KJ. And, you know, they were such fun. They were funny kids together because they were all three big, strong boys, you know, and, right. You know, my son now is six plus, you know, he's as tall as you are and, you know, got quite a few pounds on you. Got a few. Yeah. I mean, and like I said, all conference football, he was the center on the offensive line. Wow. KJ and McKinley were the two guards. Mm -hmm. KJ and McKinley are both black. At like nine years old, they refer to themselves as the Oreo attack. <laughs> and there was nobody could get through them. They won the That's championship. Awesome. They were awesome. Yeah. You know, but they used to come to the house and um, they would knock one down and the other two would take a run and go from the other room and dive on them. And I thought they were all dead, <laughs> you know, but they were just having fun and, and being kids. And honestly, being an influence on that is probably one of the most proud things I could say that I ever took part in. Sure. You know, there's nothing better than being a parent. That's right. Well, I look at my own family, you know, and back to your point about being an empty nester, you know, we're not, my kids are nine and 12, but you know, when, when I, when I'm at home by myself and the house is quiet, you know, I, I relish the quiet times. Oh yeah, absolutely. But then it's a part of me that goes, well, I kind of miss the excitement of hearing kids <laughs> running around, not hearing doors slamming, not hearing things breaking. Cause my kids Wait are till they're gone. You'll miss the door slam. I will. I try to farm my kids off to their grandparents <laughs> as often as I can. Cause I know they've got to miss it now that my sister and I have moved out years yeah. ago. Um, but my parents keep returning my kids back to me. So. That's the best part about being a grandparent. I'm told. Yeah. 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 Um, but you know, I, I do, I do miss the, the, you know, the, the noise. And so when they, when the kids come, or when my kids are in the house and they bring their friends over from the neighborhood and there's Legos being messed up in another room and my daughter's watching some girly show with her best friend or they're making slime on my kitchen, <laughs> kitchen floor, you know, it's just like, okay, this house is active. Yeah. These kids are having fun. Yeah. And I really think in families where you have just one parent, these kids aren't getting the same fair deal. They're not. And, you know, we can sit here and talk about our kids all night long because um, you do have great kids. Thank you. And your daughter is not going to leave me alone until I bring her drive through drive through cheeseburger. I know that. She loves you. <laughs> she loves you. She's awesome. Both your kids are. Um, and Tripp but, was so concerned tonight about me coming over. He's like, every hour, Daddy, are you going over to Jim's house? <laughs> yes, I told you three hours ago I was going over. Well, they're great kids, and and you all have done a great job with them up Thank to you. this point. And you know, hopefully, um, you know, well, I know Lydia is going to do great. I hope you don't screw it up. Um, <laughs> well, <laughs> are you taking bets? <laughs> I want to get a punch board together for everybody who listens. Um, no, I'm kidding. You guys are awesome. Y'all do a great job. But when you look at this, now you have a, a history in your life where you and your wife both lived in Chicago and you can yes. use that as a perfect example of, of the crime and everything, the gangs and everything that's going on in Chicago right now. I mean, we can take this all right back and we can directly point it to the breakdown of the family unit. That's right. I mean, the majority of the incarcerated black, white, um, inner city male, whatever color it is, most of them came from a single parent home with no father. That's right. Most of them turned to gangs and gang violence because the gang provided them that, um, that manly yeah. influence they needed in their life. Yeah. And I mean, granted, it was the incorrect manly right. influence. Right. You know, but it, that's exactly where it's gone. And when you look at all the violent crime and all that, that's really... You know, I hate to use a 70s word, but that's them trying to prove their mochismo, you know? <laughs> was that appropriate? <laughs> that, 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 was, that was pretty close. I think maybe we needed the, uh, what was it? The, uh, um, the scary, give, the scary button. I think it's this one. 
that might have been a little more appropriate. Yeah. Yeah. But you know, when they're when they're trying so hard to um, to impress the other males in their life, yeah, you know that um, that can push people to extremes. You know, just like what we have with the gang violence in, in Chicago and other cities, right? You know, I mean, look at every excuse in some of these inner city areas where they're burning the place down. My buddy, my buddy Dave, it's on the the Wednesday show. Mm-hmm. You know, they have. He's t- he he said the other night that they were back to rioting in Portland again. He yeah, lives I saw that. An hour, maybe less than an hour from Portland, Oregon, um, where him and his wife and and his kids live, and and you can't go to Portland, Oregon, right? Because you have no idea what you're going to get when you get there, and when you go look at how it breaks down, um, I would be willing to bet that in that inner city issue that um, a lot of it is people who came from uh, a non-traditional family set up. Right. Right. But again, that that's the narrative that the media that the left wants to promote. Again, yeah. you can do whatever you want yeah. and we're seeing the repercussions. Yeah. You know, again, the family unit was all based on a, a, a man, a woman meet, they get married when they get married, then they have sex yeah, and then they produce their children. Mm-hmm. Not they meet, have sex. Then the husband or the dad decides, you know what, I'm not going to stick around, and he bails on the woman. Yeah. Now she's stuck raising a kid that she can't afford to raise. Yeah. She doesn't know how to raise, and I think that has also led the feminization of men. Yeah. Why are men so effeminate today? Uh, <laughs> well, and, I mean, and it's not a knock on women at yeah. all. It, it's, I mean, it's not that the mother was trying to do that. No. I, I no. think she was trying to raise the child in the best possible way that she could, given her circumstances. Yeah. Yep. But the side effect or the, whatever you want to call it, second, third order effect has been that men are not men anymore. You're right. You're right. The days of the, uh, the John Wayne are gone. Art Reynolds, you know, oh, yeah. that's why I tell everybody, you know, I, I, I raced motorcycles when I was young. I joined the army and jumped out of airplanes and was in the infantry shooting guns, going off to war. And, you know, some of the things I've done in my life, people are just like, you're out of your mind. <laughs> well, you know what? I grew up with evil Knievel and the bandit. Right. All right. <laughs> that was some of my outside influences. Besides that, my dad was the law back home. He was, you know, uh, the big chief in town. And, you know, so I had those examples growing up, um, you know, so that was kind of big shoes to fill in my eyes. Right. You know, now granted the jumping out of the airplanes and shooting guns and doing all that stuff. Well, that's just fun. It's just fun. It is fun. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, but, you know, you get so many people who... Even though I saw that in the movies, you know, I was always knew my dad was there with a belt to make sure I stayed on the right path. Same here. You know. Same here. And and look at how society has got and and I can't help but think it's some of those even though I was, you know, my dad worked a lot. Um I always hated those words. Wait till your dad gets home. Yeah, those were the dreaded words. Oh my goodness. Those hours were just the longest they and were. the most torturous. You know, now my mom, she could swing a belt with the best of them, mm-hmm. but not like an old man, you know? Yep. And it's got to the point now where like, just like you said, you've got guys who, where, where are the, where are the true male species, you yep. know, uh, guys who are raised by their mom and their sisters, you know, they, they, right. they have learned by example mm-hmm. and it may not have been intentional, but that's the way it is. Now, uh, like I said, my dad was gone all the time, but, uh, but we knew he was always coming home and we knew there was repercussions if we screwed up. Right. Um, so I still had that male model in my house, but, uh, you know, because so many people maybe have been raised by their, well, raised in their own situation has also led to the fact that you can't spank your child anymore. Yep. You can't, uh, my first day of high school. Now granted in the country where I went to school at, it's high school was seventh grade through 12. There wasn't a middle school. Everybody went to from elementary school to high school. Right. My very first day of high school in the seventh grade. You were spanked. Mr. McCoy put me over the desk and whooped my butt with a paddle because me and Jeff Turner were fighting. Oh, wow. Yeah. Do that today. And that would be, you know, child that's, that's abuse. That's assault. Yeah. You're gonna, you know, they're going to go to jail. That's right. But you know what? Mr. McCoy was the nicest guy. He was, he was everybody's grandpa. And he was, he was good to everybody. Um, but if you screwed up, you knew there was a line to cross. And, and that's the, I think that's what's missing in today's no society. Line. There's no line. no line. Parents won't discipline their kids. Yep. Okay. So I had a very similar childhood too. My, my dad did most of the discipline. Uh, he was the big disciplinarian in our family. Mm-hmm. My mom did too. 
you know, she'd get the wooden spoon out or something, you know, oh, she yeah. had to throttle my butt and dad would pull the leather belt off or he'd mm-hmm. get the hairbrush. My dad was a skinny man. He didn't need a belt. The only reason he wore a belt, so he'd have a weapon close by. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Now, see, my dad needed a belt. I mean, he's not a, I mean, he was a skinny guy, but he, yeah. it, 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 it complemented his outfit. Gotcha. But it was a weapon too. And, uh, but, but if I met, if I stepped out of line, I mean, if I was at church and I remember one time I did something, I don't remember what it was, but I remember it was after church, we were coming home, we were in the parking lot, I think at a Smith's. Uh, 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 grocery store. This was in New Mexico where I used to live. And I did something stupid and mom told me, all right, when you get home, you're, you know, dad's taking care of you. And the whole ride, the whole ride home, I was quiet as a church mouse. Of course. And I was dreading every second of it because I knew it was going to happen. I would get home. As soon as that front door closes, it was going to be, Dwight, get over my knee. Yeah. And he pulled that belt off. And I knew I'd get, you know, you two or three. You can still hear the end of that belt snapping through the oh, belt. Yeah. Loose, I can still you? feel it. Yeah. You know? Woo! But, but I learned at, in that moment, Yeah, okay, here's the line. Yeah. Don't cross it. Absolutely. Okay? Um, my dad was was a good role model to me. Mm-hmm. You know, I'm, I'm a pilot, as you know. And, yep. and the reason I'm a pilot is because my dad was a pilot in, in Vietnam. But he also gave me every opportunity to sp- spread my wings to... <laughs> No pun intended. <laughs> he gave me a chance to, to discover what pilot I wanted. Humor. It is pilot humor. It's like, how do you know when a, when you have a pilot in your midst, they're going to tell you. Oh, really? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but you know, he, he took me to places. He took me to O'Hare airport. He let me watch the, the captains with their, with their suit and their, and their, and their hat and all their epaulets and their stripes. And they'd walk on the plane and I get to talk to him. And sometimes they'd say, well, why don't you come on board the plane? Do I'll give you a little tour. Yeah, I go sit in, on the flight deck of a 747 and I mean, but my dad gave me opportunities to go do that stuff. Yep. In addition, he would take me flying model airplanes, doing manly stuff. Mm-hmm. We would do construction together. We built a swing set. Um, you know, I would help him in the garage. I'd help him fix the, the car. I remember when our, we were on a long cross country drive back from Alabama one day, we had an old uh, station wagon that was kind of on its last legs. And I think either the, the piston had cracked or we crack the crankshaft or something, but we get home, it's springtime in Chicago. And as you can imagine, it's still cold. And there, we had no real heater in our garage. I spent four days laying on my back underneath <laughs> the engine, the eight cylinder engine of, of that station wagon, helping my dad pull it out, fix it, put a whole new crankshaft in. Oh, you spent your main bearings. I don't know what it was. That's what you did. I, I'm just a pilot. I, I don't know all that stuff. But anyway. How do you know when a pilot's in the room? I don't know. How do you know that? They'll be the first to tell you. Oh, that's funny, <laughs> man. You and your pilot humor, I swear. But, you know, my dad gave me all those opportunities to do man stuff. I watched Airplane, too. Did you watch Airplane? <laughs> What's your vector, Victor? <laughs> Never mind. I yeah, we should stop here. there because it's going to get worse. pretty dirty. This, this needs to be somewhat family friendly, kind of. Uh, it's, this is going to go bad really quick. Yeah. Um, but dad gave me an opportunity. He gave me the opportunity to be a man, to learn how to fix things and right. do things. And I look back at it today and go, I wouldn't be where I am if it hadn't been for my dad. But see, it's that balance. Cause I did the same thing. We had a gravel driveway. My dad had a special piece of cardboard, mm-hmm. you know, because you needed that cardboard to lay on. So you didn't tear you back up into gravel. Right. You know, to this day, I changed my brakes. I changed my oil. I do all that stuff myself. Now, when the engine blew in my truck, I had a professional do it. Right. But it's the small things I know. I, I learned from my dad when I was barely ho- uh, big enough to hold a flashlight, you know. But I always knew that if I got hurt, if I felt sick, especially if I was sick, mom was always there. Yes, she was. You know, nobody can comfort you like mom. I don't care if you're a boy or a girl. I don't care if you're the family dog. They always go to mom when they feel bad. Yep. So it's that balance that we don't have anymore. That's right. It's you all know? one-sided. It is completely one-sided. You're only getting one or the other if you're lucky in cases. Yep. You know, I had a young man that played ball for us uh, in the Little League, and the kid was at the time was 12 years old. Now think of this. Now, where we're at here in Virginia, it is not um, – inner city so much as it is um got it, it's a small town with with some inner city attitude at times yeah. all right and we had a single mom who had a couple of kids in the program and they were kind of always getting into trouble now this kid uh, he actually lives in another state now but you know i had a tendency to treat these kids like they were mine you know when i took over the little league i played it very plain to these people 
and not young people, old people, anybody, all the people, the parents as well as the kids. Now, the kids, you refer to your coaches as coach, sir, or ma'am. Right. You talk to your parents when you're at the football field. It's yes, sir, no, sir. Yes, ma'am, no, ma'am. If you don't, you're on my football field, you will feel the wrath, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and, and they bought into it. And I actually had a parent come to me one day and went, how'd you do that? I said, what do you mean? He said, that whole conversation you just had with my son, he kept saying, yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. I can't get him to call me sir at home. <laughs> I looked at the dad and I said, that says more about you than it does the kid. And I turned around and walked off. Wow. You know, but we, this one particular kid, he was come from a single parent household. Uh, the mom had a boyfriend who was really kind of disconnected. Didn't care if the kids came or gone, you know, came or left at all whatsoever. Well, the mom had a disease that progressed. She ended up passing away. Mm-hmm. And I was one of the only people he would listen to. Um, I walked into school one day and he was in trouble in the teacher's office. And he saw me coming before I saw him and in the principal's office. And when I walked into the principal's office, I was handing off flyers for Little League for football. Mm-hmm. And when I did that, he looked up and he immediately put his head on the table. And I saw a couple of teachers and the principal standing there, and they all had this really puzzled look on their face. And the principal asked me to step around the corner, and she went, I've never seen him act like that before. Who are you? (laughs) And I told her, and I said, are you having problems with him? She said, you would not believe the problems we're having with him. And, uh, you know, I kind of walked back around the corner, and I just snatched him up like he was mine. And I said, listen, this is what you're going to do. This is how you're going to do it, and I don't want this teacher. I'm giving her my phone number. Don't let her call me because you're acting up again. Didn't have no more problems with him. Wow. You know, they, they, they crave discipline. Now, there's a difference between discipline and abuse. Obviously, right. you got to walk that line. He's not my kid, but I have influence, and I know that, and I want to use it as a positive. Um, when his mom passed away from the disease, I don't normally do funerals, especially just funerals of people not related to me. Um, but I felt compelled, and I went to the church, and or to, you know, they headed to the church, um, and I, it was already, it had just started and I kind of slid in, uh, in the back and sat in the back row. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to pay my respects. I wanted the kids to know that somebody was there for them, you know, um, but I just don't like funerals. Yeah, who does? And mm-hmm. when I got in, um, the daughter that was the cheerleader and her older sister was on up singing. They had a song they sang. And as soon as they got, she saw me come in and slide in and get sit down when, uh, she was done with her song. She came down off the, the what do you call it, the stage? stage the, yeah. yeah um, came down off, grabbed her brother, pointed at me, and those two kids came back to the back row and sat with me for the rest of their mom's funeral. Wow. That's powerful. It breaks your heart. Yeah. Because, you know, you only interact with these kids a so amount of, you know, such and such amount of time, a very small amount of time. Think of all the other influence that they have in their home where now the only parent he has or they have is now deceased. That's right. What are they going to do? You may be the only person that has any influence in their life, any positive influence in their life. It's, you know, it sucks. It sucks. We're in that world. Yeah. Well, I, 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 several years ago I was coaching T-ball here in town Mm -hmm. and, um, my son would have been probably five at the time. Anyway, um, so I was my first year coaching, first time ever coaching a team. And uh, at the last minute, a family signed up their child. And I think he, uh, his name was Caleb. I think he was four at the time. Mm-hmm. I don't think he'd ever played T-ball before. If he had, it, was, it wasn't very much. And I'll never forget because like, we had the team and I had, a, his dad was one of my uh, assistant coaches, yeah. um, just unofficially, but we became, we've been good friends ever since. And anyway, you know, Caleb comes from a, uh, a very good Christian family. He's got a mom and a dad who have done an outstanding job raising this kid. And even to this day, we're still friends and I love seeing him cause I'm just proud of him. But anyway, I'll never forget being his coach. I tried to treat every single child on that team. Like I treated my own son. Sure. Okay. Because yep. when I was growing up, I played little league baseball. Yeah. Okay. And honestly, I wasn't all that good. You know, I, I was not the worst. Actually, the coach's son on one team, he was the worst. I was probably the second worst. <laughs> and, but of course he's the coach's son. So whatever he wanted to do, daddy let him do it. Well, that's, yeah. I had to ride the bench. I, I endeavored that if I ever coached, I would never do that. Mm-hmm. I would treat every kid equally because if you don't, A, they're going to hate the game. Then they're going to hate you. Yep. Okay. 
and I don't want any kind of impropriety in terms of, well, my, it's my son, I'll do it. So I had a thing where Too I- Too much I, of that in right. youth sports today, yeah. So on my scorecard, I made sure that every child got to play every different position. And we rotated every single inning. Yep. And there were times where my son wanted to play shortstop. Mm-hmm. No, sorry, Trip, uh, you're you're in left field today. Yep. Oh, but daddy, you're my coach. It doesn't matter. <laughs> every child's going to get a chance yeah. to, to play. So Caleb played, and, and this is where I'll wrap this up. As you know, I had cancer. Mm-hmm. I uh, was diagnosed in January, went through surgery in February. And you beat that crap. Oh, I beat it. I've beat it to submission. It's gone now. <laughs> Stage one, baby. It's gone. But um, someone in town, our, uh, a very good friend of mine, Lana, organized a food drive mm-hmm. for my family. And, and basically, while I was in the hospital for two weeks, my wife did not have to cook dinner at all. Awesome. People came through. Like, it, it, it's even this day I get emotional. I get kind of teary-eyed a little bit because it, it means a lot to me what Lana did. Yep. One of the families that brought food to us was Caleb's family. Now, we've been friends with them for years, and they've moved from here, and they're somewhere else now, but we've stayed in contact. But they heard that I had I'd gotten cancer, and so they decided they were going to provide food for my family. But not only them. The, the, the uh, Caleb's grandparents brought food for us as well. Yeah. Now, I don't know the grandparents. Never yeah. met them before, you know, or if I have, I don't remember. But my wife was there at the door to receive the food from the grandparents. And they told my wife that Caleb considers me to be the best coach he's ever had. <laughs> and that just... You never forget your coaches. You, you don't. No. But I never knew I had that kind of influence on him. Yep. To me, I was just saying, here, throw the ball to first base. Okay, it's your turn to play. Turn, your turn to pitch now. Your turn to play catcher. Here's how you hold the bat. Here's how you, here's how you stand properly in the batter's box. But, you know, six years later... He still knows who I am, remembers me, and still th- and still calls me coach. I went over to, went over to the house. I, I bought um, uh, something from them, and I went over to go pick it up. And he still calls me coach mm-hmm. to this day. Yeah, I, I just that makes me feel yeah so I, I can't even describe it. Sure, absolutely, and I, I know exactly how you feel, Coach Butch Kaiser, my football coach okay. in high school. Mm-hmm. Um, He's the one who brought me up from the ninth grade to play varsity, mm-hmm. um, where we lived like it's a very rural area out in the middle of nowhere. And uh, after football practice, he would give me a ride up the mountain. I mean, I lived like 15 or more miles away from the football field. Mm-hmm. And I didn't have a ride. We were we grew up poor. We didn't have, you know, my mom was uh, at home. Dad was at work, didn't have time, you know. So, I, you know, granted, it was a different era in a different place too where you wouldn't worry about people snatching your kids right but but, didn't you have covered wagons back then uh no we didn't have covers we were too poor oh, okay. um, just the wagon just the wagon okay yeah and it only had three wheels oh um, that must have been fun <laughs> that's a bumpy ride <laughs> my sister ran along the side holding the axle <laughs> uh, <laughs> anyway so oh, she's gonna love that comment. oh yeah i'll pay for that but yep. um anyway you know so he would drop me off at the top of this one particular road and i would walk down this dirt road and go across a couple of neighbors' fields and cut across a river, a creek, and I would come out close to where my house was. So it was a couple-mile walk after he dropped me off. But, you know, the time, and and, I, and my parents were great, but, you know, coaches make a difference, man. You know, the time riding up the hill talking about football with the coach and, and just talking about school and talking about what's going right. on. Butch Kaiser, he's he's still with us. He's uh, He's a frail uh, elderly gentleman now, but uh, Butch Kaiser was a, a huge. You never forget your good coaches, you right? Know? And he was definitely a good one, you know. And just to get back to what we were talking about, you know, with the with the breakdown of the family, and we've talked about examples, we've talked about, um, you know, things that have uh, made impact on our life as well as things we've observed, um, and, and in some of those examples, and just in everyday life, you know, when you go through generations of that family breakdown. And this will be my last, you know, little league story, I guess. But we had a kid um, who had a house full, I mean, a house full of brothers and sisters. Um, and the mother kept having children um, because the more kids she had, the more government assistance she got. Sure. And, you know, um, it was to the point to where she... Um, well, we took the kids to a football game. Um, uh, the University of Virginia, when Mike London was the coach there, he was really um, helpful with a lot of our with our program. 
and he uh, gave us all tickets to take the kids to the football game because they had all done good. One of the things we made them do is they had to get good grades to play. Right. And he really appreciated the program that we installed uh, in that grades. So he gave us tickets. I mean, he gave us, it was like a hundred tickets to the football wow. game. And we went to see uh, UVA play, what is it? I think I want to say Liberty University, mm-hmm. you know, and uh, we took all the kids there. We had told the parents for two weeks, you know, this is where to have them for the bus. We go pick them up. You know, uh, we're going to take them to the game. we got plenty of chaperones, but you have to be at the high school at a certain time to pick your kids up. Everybody was there on time except for one parent. Mm-hmm. You can imagine which one. Yeah. You know, how you getting home? Don't know, coach. What'd your mom say? Do the best you can. Wow. That's not encouragement for a kid at all. No. You know, and that's another one, 12 years old, just like the first one we talked about, you yeah. know. So you look down at the breakdown of the family unit, it is something that has been just escalating and escalating and escalating to the point where we're at now. So, you know, honestly, when you see a lot of these Antifa, when you see the Black Lives Matter, when you see a lot of these people who are uh, using these excuses in order to go out and burn towns, burn businesses, loot, and do the things they're doing, Sometimes you can't you can't blame them directly because it's what they've been programmed to do. Sure, it's what society wants them to do. Exactly, it's the, it's that total anarchy yeah. that a lot of um, a lot of folks that don't like this country and don't like the way it's made up. That's what they've been planning and, and working towards for well since Margaret Sanger. That's right. You know, and, and maybe even before, but in modern history, when we look back at Margaret Sanger and what she instituted and what she started. Um, in, in killing uh, babies in the womb has now led us to the point where here in Virginia, our wonderful governor says we'll deliver the baby, we'll make it comfortable, and then we'll decide what to do. That's right. Tell me there's no more attack on the family unit than giving you permission and aiding you to be able to kill a baby outside the womb. Right. Yeah, there, there, is, there is no priority anymore of maintaining the family unit. None. I mean, it's, it's now, again, it goes back to what I said earlier. It's about you doing whatever you want to do. Yeah. If you, if you want to have sex unprotected, that's fine. You get a baby. Okay. We're going to resolve it. I'll never forget this. When my wife was uh, pregnant, she gave birth to our second to to Bella and we went in uh, to the doctor's office. I won't say where, kind of want to tarnish anyone's reputation, but we go into the (laughs) doctor's office as a follow-up after uh, the, the, the pregnancy. And the doctor says, so, you know, in, my wife had gotten uh, her tubes tied and the doctor said, so uh, there's about a 1% chance you could still get pregnant. But if it happens, come into the office and we'll resolve it. Okay. Flag on the play doctor, as I told him, I said, <laughs> what do you mean resolve it? Yeah, okay. You, you know what he means. I know. What he, I wanted him to come out and say, yeah. we will abort the baby. Yeah. Now we know it's difficult for baby to be born out, you know, outside the, where it's supposed to be born. So, I, he came, came back again and he said, well, we'll, we'll, we'll deal with it. We'll re- resolve it. And, and he was not going to use the A word at no, all. No, of course not. Because that would probably put him in a, in a legal predicament, I think, at that point. Mm-hmm. Um, but it, it cemented in my mind, this was back in 2012, a lot of these doctors, not every doctor, but a lot of the doctors out there are okay with resolving pregnancies. Yeah. And when our own king... King Ralph. King Ralph Northam of Ooh, Richmond. Ralphie boy. Decides that we're going to we're gonna set a baby aside and then we're going to deal with it after it's born. That's murder. Yeah. And that just tells me yet again, there is no regard for life. None. There's None regard whatsoever. for you do what you want to do. Yeah. You you have sex out of wedlock. You you have a family any way you want to. You take drugs and drink alcohol while you're pregnant with the kid. Who cares? Yeah. Do what you want. Because, you know, today, morals are all, are, they're not absolute anymore. It's all relative. Yeah. And, and you know, it's about what you want to do. Yeah. That's what it comes down to. Well, and, you know, the two of us, our, our opinions kind of cover the spectrum. You know, um, we're, we're, we're both conservative men. Yep. All right. Um, and, and for those who don't know us, you know, you're a very important role in your church. Um, you're very dedicated to your church, very dedicated to your faith. Um, I admire that 100%. I am not necessarily a church going person. I do have faith. I do believe who my maker is. I do believe that Jesus died on the cross. Uh, but am I an everyday 
you know, participant in it? No. Am I um, what somebody would call a, you know, a, just a downright 100%, you know, good Christian every day? It's debatable, you know. Um, but we come from two different backgrounds, and, and it's it's funny um, in the, not the ha-ha sense, but it's it's just funny how we can come to common ground on how precious life is. That's right. You know, I get a lot of my uh, opinions, you know, from my experiences just like you do. And, um, and my tours of duty around the world and, and most recently in Iraq during the surge, you can see how in just the blink of an eye, it takes no time for somebody to take that life away. That's right. And for you, for anybody, not you directly, you know, for, for anyone to be so nonchalant about taking a life before it gets a chance to experience anything. Yeah. To me, there is a special place in hell for you. I agree. Um, and um, there's, I have no conscious, conscious whatsoever to where you end up in life. Mm-hmm. You know, because that just absolutely, there's there's no, well, I don't it, know, there's a lot of forgivable sins out there, but that's not one of them in my mind. No, no. And, and I don't think, we're, we're not, we're not judging people for that matter. We're, we're making a rational decision about what a person believes, yeah. you know, because um, I know the first thing people are going to say is, well, now you're condemning those who believe in abortion. No, I'm not, no. We're not condemning those who believe in abortion or, or even our governor who wants to murder babies outside the womb. I'm making a rational decision. This guy is crazy and yeah. does not respect life. Now, when, when I say that because, and, and like I said, I'm not wanting to di- dive off the deep end, you know, completely into one direction, but... Um, you know, before my son was born, I never voiced or never uh, posted an opinion on abortion because I'm a dude. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to have a baby. All right. It's it's not physically possible for me to have a child. So I never would say anything about it because I've Are never been in that sure? position. I'll see you after the broadcast, sweetie. <laughs> <laughs> no, it was, I mean, it's not possible. So therefore, I never posted an opinion. That's going to be somebody else's decision. The moment I saw my son being born, the moment, I mean, it was a split second, he came out of my wife's stomach, you know, at that point I thought, well, if for some reason my wife, God forbid, had not made it through or had just decided completely that this is not for me, I don't want to be a mother, then I would have took my son and raised him by myself. And at that point, then I felt validated in the fact that I'm allowed to have an, op- uh, an opinion about this. Well, I think you're allowed to have an opinion regardless, uh, because I mean, think of it this way: a woman can't have a baby without something from a man. True. Right. True. We can't really synthesize it yet, so it, it takes two to tango. Now, yep. there may not be two doing it, but maybe, well, you're, maybe, maybe it's uh, it's you know, you know, I'm, you know, you know, what I'm getting at. My point is that I still think everyone can have an opinion. On, on abortion or sure. on life in general, whether you're a man or a woman, doesn't matter. Sure. Yes, a woman raises it in her stomach for nine months, mm-hmm. but it has to get there somehow. It has to come from someone. Well, now there's a big movement on father's rights. You know, if a woman's pregnant, then the woman has the right to choose an abortion or choose to put it up for adoption, then the man should have the right to say, I don't want anything to do with it and not have to pay child support. Yeah. You know, they're, they're making it easier for people to break down the family even more. Yeah. But um, the, the, the simple answer, I know we're running out of time, but, but the simple answer really is if we go back to the way it once was, yeah. which is where if you're, if you're going to, if you're, if you're going to have sex, yep. okay, you get married, you commit to one another for a lifetime and then you raise that child together, yeah. period. That's why the family unit was so successful back in the day. It was. And there's arguments that's going to say, you know, the direction I was going, they're going to do the same thing with you on that very statement. If you don't want to get married, there's still, I know a couple now who just got married recently and they've been together for 20 years and have raised a family together. Mm -hmm. Essentially, they are what we think of as a married couple. You know, the thing is, is if you get, if you're going to make adult decisions, and you're and a child is the result, then you better be ready to stand up and honor that decision you made to right. begin with. Right. You know, that right there shows your character of manhood, at least for the male side of it, in my opinion. Right. You know, and it's um not every 
well, we were just talking about this earlier, you know, or not earlier. I was talking about with somebody earlier today. It is, um, we don't always get to choose the path we take in life, mm-hmm. but it's, um, it show it shows who you are when you make the best of the path you're, you're presented. That's right. 100%. So, and, and when you try to make the right decisions. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, we started off tonight talking about the breakdown of family. We were using our own examples, talking about things that have influenced us in our life. You know, um, you know, we're going to get, uh, we're going to start posting up our, we're, we're doing a Facebook page. We're going to do some uh, social media um, and we're going to include that in future podcasts. Think about this one. Give us some feedback. Tell us what you guys think. Tell us what you, uh, uh, something we missed, something we happened or something in your life that, uh, you know, uh, made you walk the path that, that you walk. Um, and, and we look forward to doing this, uh, you know, doing this every week and just kind of getting to know folks, getting to know people. Um, this is the first one. This is the first one in the can. It ain't always going to be perfect. It ain't always going to be polished. It's just going to be me and Dwight. That's all it is. Oh, we're not perfect and we're not polished. Well, ain't that the truth. <laughs> I was on my best behavior tonight. Let me tell you. Yes, you you did a fantastic job. It's so hard sometimes to hold it in. Oh, Jim was holding back. And don't worry. It's not what's going to happen in the future. But this is the first one in. Uh, We invite everybody to come back with us on on the the Liberty Room with Jim and Dwight. Um, And you can always catch us in in other places. We're going to have those social media uh, uh, sites posted. Um, you can always find me Wednesday nights on Facebook live, go to the jimwood.com, uh, Wednesday nights, uh, where conservatives get together in the sanity support room. Well, that wasn't a, a, a shameless plug there for your Wednesday show. I'm shameless period. What are you talking about? <laughs> hey, I, I watch it. I watch your show every Wednesday. Well, well except for you. last Wednesday. Cause I, I had dinner with some friends, but, uh, you know, you talk Let's about a show that I fall into pecking order. Yeah. Well, with. Those, those are other friends. Uh, you're, oh. you're, 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 you guys can't see my hands, but Jim's a little bit lower than my, my left hand's a little bit lower than my right hand and Jim's my left hand. Um, no, you, your, your show is. Born white trash and it's been all downhill ever since. I wasn't going to say that, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but no, your, your show is incredibly enlightening and the way Thank you me. engage your, your Facebook followers is, is it's fun. It's fun to. To, to message you and then you respond. And so keep up the good work. And it, is, it is a conversation with friends. And I think one of the things since, you know, this was just kind of a local thing that got out of hand and, uh, you know, people, uh, like-minded people started coming together. Uh, we get thousands of people every week on Wednesday nights, eight o'clock on Facebook. You can link to it. Like I said, the Um, and, uh, you know, the best thing about it is, is seeing all the people who get together on Wednesday nights how much they interact and talk to each other throughout the week. How many of us actually met each other finally? I mean, I, I've, I've met a few through Facebook. Yeah, no. And they're good people. Awesome, they're, awesome. Really. And, and they're not even from around here. Some are like your sister's way down south of here. You have your friend John. Was he in, in Las Vegas? John's in Vegas. Dave out in Oregon. Yeah. We get Joe down in, in Tampa, Florida. Um, you know, we got a big following. Uh, all the folks up in Michigan, the people down in Texas. Um, you know, it's uh, it, it's it's it became... Uh, for those who don't know, I ran for city council here in our small town and it was during COVID. So you didn't have a way that you could get out and talk to people, um, you know, like you normally could. And, uh, we started doing this little Facebook live thing, 20, 30, 40 people. And, and all of a sudden it just, it started growing. It started growing. Um, you know, I, I'm, I run a gun store. Um, I am, uh, considered one of the top firearms instructors in the state of Virginia. Um, I own a training company as well. Um, and then all of a sudden Dwight and a few others got me involved in local politics and holy crap, here we are. And now we're doing a podcast together. And now we're doing a podcast together. Who would have thought? Yeah. I would never would have thought that. Yeah. Me either. But I think we have a good dynamic. Uh, we were, I, I do too. And I'm looking forward to what this brings in the future. Um, but back to, you know, we're trying to, uh, I'm, I'm the worst at signing off because nobody loves the sound of their own voice more than me. And just end it. Just end it. Yeah. Just end it. Uh, but not abruptly kind of fade that, it out. That don't but, sound good. Well, don't just listen to me. You're the one it. that did all these communication courses. Just end it. I did. I took a, well, it was correspondence I found on the back of a matchbox. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. hey, it's better than what I've got. Yeah. I'm just a pilot. ETSU, baby. East Tennessee State University. I always got to give a shout out. Are you a buccaneer? You're bucking right. <laughs> <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> All right, so thejimwood.com. We're going to post a lot more social media. 
uh, of the Liberty Room. That's where you're at right now. The Liberty Room right here, the Conservative Command Center. Oh, you got it right. How about that? Nice. I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning. So uh, we'll we'll definitely talk more about this on Wednesday night. You guys want to tune in. Uh, you're more than welcome uh, every Wednesday night, but uh, watch for the podcast. I think we're going to launch them Fridays. Sure. Let's do it. Sounds. See, we just made a plan. That's right. All right. So Friday night's new podcast coming out every week. Uh, download it. Um, we'll get you all the links to it, uh, to your Spotify, your iHeart, all that good stuff, and uh, take it with you. I know I get a lot of guys who uh, listen to it on the job site, on the work site. Um, but, uh, you know, we definitely got to cut it off soon because I got to work early in the morning. Yeah, I got to go to work early, too. My All boss right. will not appreciate me being late. <laughs> anyway, Jim, it's always a pleasure talking with you. Look Same forward to our here, next podcast. Absolutely. Uh, we'll see. Send in topics. We'll, uh, we'll talk about those, too. But um, yep. we got to go to work tomorrow, and I know you do, too. So uh, for the time being, we will see you guys every Friday uh, when we release another one. Send us uh, all the goods. And, um, wow, first one in the bucket. That's right. Good job. That's pretty awesome. That's right. All right. All right. Well, let's sign off. Good night, everyone. See you all on the flip side. Liberty Room, Jim and Dwight. The conservative command center. You got it right. I did. (laughs) (laughs) We'll see if I can do it again next time. That's right.